0: So, this morning, we're going on on the book of Revelation, and we are looking at the church in Sardis. We are looking at the church in Sardis. And I entitled my sermon today, A Call to Authenticity, because this church is being called to be authentic. And we are called with this church to be authentic. I'm just going to go through a little bit of history of the city and some pictures that show you... Uh, things about the city uh, will come on. But uh, before we do that, let's read quickly. We need to read from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is a message from the one who has sevenfold spirits of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what legal remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you have heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly, repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief, yet there are some in the church in service who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce them before my Father and his angels, and that they are mine. Anyone with ears, let him hear and listen to what the Spirit Listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Amen. Thank you for the reading of your word, Lord. Pray that your word would be like a double-edged sword and do the work that you have sent it to do in our hearts and in our lives today. Speaker and hearer alike. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, talking about the city um, of Sardis, it's um, under the kingdom of Lydia. It's in the, um, currently it's in Turkey. That's the current Turkey, the country we know is Turkey. Not Turkey, the one that we eat at Thanksgiving, but Turkey, the country. Um, it's somewhere, it's in that area and the, um, the ruins are found there. And you're going to see some of these as I speak about the city. So it is known to have been a very wealthy city. It was the capital of the kingdom of Lydia. So it was, it was a very wealthy city, and in connection with the other churches that we've spoken about, that in, in the Asia Maina, which are still in the Turkey area, there is Simna, uh, there is Sardis there, next to Philadelphia and Simna, sort of in a cave, in, on the cave between those two. And so, it's it's a city that was there, and the reason why I'm doing this is I, I know some of you, some of us, or some of you read scripture and think, oh, these are just stories of things This is a reality. Those churches were churches that were real like us. Those cities were real as Fort Wayne is today. It was not, it's not just a, it's it's not an allegory. (laughs) It's the truth. And Jesus speaks to them and speaks words of life and speaks words of prophecy and speaks word of now as well to them. And we want to realize that as we speak about the cities. And that's why I like to a little bit talk about what the city looked like and what the situation there was. You can scroll, I'll let you do that, Grandma Ruth, because it looks like my scroller he isn't working well with me. So it was situated at the junction of many roads, so it was a trade route, it was uh, the crossroads of the kingdom, and so everything passed through Simna, and it was a, a city known for luxury, I uh, can see the baths and all those things. You can scroll on; just keep scrolling on the pictures as I talk, so people see the city. And it had a well-deserved reputation of apathy, of immorality. It was large. It had temples, and it had the temple of goddess Cybele, the goddess honored through the worship of many kinds of sexual immorality and pu- and impurities. It was it was well protected, as you can see the walls there, it was a well-protected city, a great city. Um, it was known as well as a city of easy money, where it was easy to get money. It was easy money, and people would go there to get money and, um, and wealth. Um, and because of all this, it was pleasure-loving. It was a pleasure-loving city. They loved pleasure. Um, they enjoyed the pleasures of um, the comfort that money gave them and the world gave them. Um, it was soft, very soft in discipline, very lacking in discipline, because there was all this. I mean, there's all these luxuries and all this joy. There's no need for <laughs> discipline. So there was lack of discipline. There was... Um, and this became the the doom of the sui. The fact that there was no... There was not... It was just like, eh, whatever we want to do, we can do it. And there's a story that is told that because the city was so guarded, um, it's only twice that there's, kind of like twice to three times, I think, where it was um, invaded. um, Because it had these big walls, it was very well protected. But it happened that um, one of the times, the story that that caught my, my heart, there are two of them that are told about how, the invaders came into that city is within those big walls they came and they besieged the city because the king um, King Cyrus came and besieged the city and realized okay there's no way in and then he gave his uh, soldiers and said to them well if anyone finds a way to get into the city I'll give them a, a huge reward so, and so it he was going to give them a reward, and they were excited, and they looked around. And then one night, one of the soldiers, as they were looking at the city, they saw the, the soldiers of Sardis that were on the walls guarding the city, and they saw one of them bend down and lose their helmet, and it fell outside the city. And then they watched to see. Then they saw them come down in a secret passage and go and pick up their uh, helmet, put it on, and go back up there. And then that soldier went on to King Cyrus and said, hey, I found a way in. And that is how it was conquered. The other time, um, people were dying in the city when they were besieged and They were throwing bodies out. And there was a smell. And, and like, what is that smell? And then um, whosoever the soldiers were with, they walked around and then realized, oh, there's an opening here. Because it's not guarded. Because it's smelling of all those bodies that have been thrown out. So twice those stories are told, usually about the city, and they relate very well to what Jesus says to that city, and we'll go on to hear that. So Jesus describes himself in this whole story. He describes himself in terms of the one who is the master. He says, "I hold." We spoke about that last time. When I spoke here. We, I hold the seven. Star seven is the number of completeness. I hold the complete authority. I hold, and so he speaks of himself as somebody who has got all spiritual power and authority. He holds the fullness of what the church needs, which is the Spirit of God. And then he says to them, I know your works. Maybe before I go in uh, past that, that picture of Jesus holding the fullness is the picture that. That was stuck in my mind as I was singing forever, Jesus, you be adored. Because I see him as a king who is in charge. I see him as a, as a fierce king who is in control, who does not lose control. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing shocks him. He is in full control. Um, and so I, I have got no choice but to fall down in worship and adore such a king so he says to them i know your works and we heard that again in all the churches jesus knows he is all knowing ever present what the church is and what the church does can never be hidden from jesus what we do as individuals and what we are as individuals can never be hidden from him, whom we had last week, has the eyes of fire. He can see. He knows. He's all there. So we can try all we try to make ourselves look better. He knows our hearts. So in the church of Sardis, he says, I know you have a name. They had a reputation. We have reputations that we want to keep. The church there as well had a reputation. Their reputation was that they were a busy church. They were doing stuff. That takes me back to when I spoke to you about the church in Ephesus. Same kind of situation. Busy. They've got all those programs. They've got all those things. And they look alive on the outside. But they are dead on the inside. He says, I know you are busy. And in our business as a church and as people, and as believers, we can lose sight of why we are doing what we are doing, and who we are doing it for. The church in Sardis was busy, great, but they had lost sight. That's why their work was not complete. They have lost sight. When we lose sight of who we are doing, what we are doing for, and why we are doing it, we've got a problem. We are not to bank all our eggs on this short life. Brian had, a years ago, did an illustration of eternity and had, um, I think it was Vince Campbell was standing here and then some people standing on, and he's saying, Vince's hand might be our life now, but they were standing stretching their hands all the way out, and he says, this is our life here, and the rest of this might be eternity. We don't bank on this while we have all this. And so they had done that. That church had done that. They were banking on now and here. But Jesus says, because I know and I can see, you are there. This teaches us something. It teaches us, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23. He said to the um, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. One of the biggest... Um, burial place or tomb that we know of that is the most beautiful. is the Taj Mahal in India. Beautiful. But inside what is, what is it full of? Dead bones And he says to this church, in, in a way he's saying to them that your good reputation is not guaranteed that you have spiritual character. Our good reputation, our look on the outside is not guaranteed. People, things that I want people to see no guarantee that I've got spiritual character, and this is where this church was finding itself. Also, they are dead, a dead body does not struggle, a dead body just lies there. And so, Jesus says to them, There is no struggle, there is no fighting, there is no fight. He says, Paul says, Fight the good fight of faith, and there's no fight here because they are dead. In all the other churches we hear, we Jesus says to them, there is persecution. There is no persecution in this church. Because they are dead, there is no need to persecute a dead body. This is, this is amazing that all the other churches in Asia Minor are being persecuted. And this particular church has no persecution. Everything seems to be awesome. The church of service is a model of inoffensive Christianity. It's a model of get along Christianity. Might be stepping on other people's toes, but that's the truth. The church there has the model of, it's fine. We are not going to deal with things that need to be dealt with. We're going to avoid them because they cause controversy. And Jesus says to them, well, that's a problem right there. The church in is accommodated all these things. It accommodated itself into the injustice and into the immorality of that city. The church inside is on the church that says, okay, how can we accommodate everything else? Even things that are against the Bible will accommodate them for the sake of peace. Does those words sound familiar? That's the church that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a church that is willing to compromise everything that is in here for the little bit of what we have here on earth and in die in a dead in a dead situation it reminds me again of what jesus says in john 15 he speaks about the father being the vine dresser and he speaks about us as being the branches john 15:5 he says i am the vine you are the branches the one who remains in me and I in him bears so much fruit, but without me you can do nothing. And in the in the Amplified it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off from the vital union with Jesus, you can do nothing. That's where death comes in, in the life of a believer, when we are cut off. From the vine and we choose to cut ourselves off from the vine it's a choice that we have without the vine there is no fruit there might be fake fruit you might take fruit and tie it on a on a branch in your house and think oh it's it looks like there is fruit but that fruit is going to rot and die it's not fruit that is going to last because the branch is dead it's not connected to a vine You you can have a big apple tree in your house and cut the branch out and put it in in your during the winter and put it in your in your garage and say it's going to feel it's going to look better and just put it in the garage and take apples and glue them on the on on the branches. It's not going to help because it's taken out from the stem of life. And as as this as we see this church had all these things to show, had all these fake fruits to show but was taken off the vine it was a dead branch with glued-on fake fruits. Apart from intimacy with Jesus, we will never experience authentic Christian life. Apart from intimacy with Jesus, we are cut off from the vine. And we cannot produce fruit, so we will die apart from the intimacy with Jesus. How intimate is your walk with Jesus, not talking about God bless my food, Amen. Prayers, not talking about Lord help me. I'm gonna go now. Bless me, bless my family, bless, bless me, bless me, bless me. Jimmy, Jimmy, my name is Jimmy. No, I'm talking about intimate time with God. When was the last time you sat before the Lord and said, Lord, I just adore you for who you are? When was the last time your prayer was not a prayer to ask, was a prayer of intimacy with him? Not asking for anything, just being intimate with him. Telling him how beautiful he is, telling him how awesome he is. Prayer of adoration, prayer of thanksgiving. Without asking, that's intimacy. If your spouse is always saying, give me, give me, give me, and He's never pause into you, that's not intimacy. That's not a relationship. There are times that we need as a church to be at places where we sit and not ask. Just tell him how beautiful he is. Recognize that. Thank him for his goodness for us. And then he says to them, wake up. He wakes them up from their slumber. And then he tells them to be people who are watchful. And this reminds me again, so much of this of the instructions of Jesus reminded me of a lot of scripture in other places. First Peter. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, where we find that word again. Wake up, be watchful. It says in um, in the Amplified, be sober, be well balanced and self-disciplined, be alert, be cautious at all times. That any who feels the devil crawls around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. Let me correct that. Like a roaring lion. Fierce and hungry. Seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Be firm in your faith against his attack. Rooted and established and immovable. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. You do not suffer alone. This church was not suffering. They were not alert. They didn't need to be alert and awake. Because they did not share in the sufferings of the brothers. Because they were living in luxury. The church was in, in, in slumber. Where else do we see Jesus talking about this concept of awake, be alert? Matthew twenty four forty two. he says, be ready for the master is coming. Jesus is coming back, church. Broadway, Jesus is coming back. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus! He's coming back. We see the signs. It's exciting. It's not scary. Should be exciting because we know He's coming. Matthew twenty-five thirteen, He says, "Do not let the lamp burn out." And He's talking about the virgins. That's where we find again, be alert. You don't know when the bridegroom comes. Matthew twenty-six forty-one. He tells his disciples, why couldn't you wait with me and be awake and pray for an hour? We are called to be praying while we wait. Luke twenty-seven, no, sorry, Luke 12, 35-37 speaks about, blessed is the servant whom the master finds awake. There is reward for being found awake. But there are a few things there that I want you to see. We need to be awake and be ready for the master's coming. We need to be awake and ready with our lamp burning with oil. What does oil represent? The Holy Spirit. Our empowerment while we wait is the Holy Spirit. And then we need to be awake and pray while we wait. Our prayer life is important while we wait. Blessed is the man or woman or boy or girl that the master finds awake. When he comes, he says to them, "Strengthen the things that remain." This tells us that the condition, spiritual condition of this church, was bad, as bad as it was. It was not hopeless. There is always a remnant that God keeps for Himself, and He says, "Strengthen the legal that remains." There are things that remain still that need to be strengthened in the church and in our personal lives. Jesus did not give up on them. He doesn't give up on us. It's amazing for me that he doesn't give up on me. And he had not given up on them. He said, although it was... He's like, yes, it is late, but it's not too late. And each time he knocks at the door, he stands... Somebody was praying this morning during our prayer time and says, I was excited to see uh, the picture that I see every time on the window that says Jesus stands at the door and knock. Each time he is knocking... He doesn't give up. We are the ones who give up, but he doesn't give up on us. And he had not given up on this church. It's never too late to turn around. He is patient. He is kind. He is long-suffering with us. Even if when our works don't measure up, he's still patient. He's still kind. He's still calling us back to him. He says, remember the first things you have heard. Remember what you heard first and hold fast to it. Remember the things that you have heard. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. He says, with all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, he has talked about the coming of the Lord. And that during those end times, these are things that are going to happen. But then he says, with all these things that I've spoken about, which is the end time issues, Come in, in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a grip hold on the teaching we have passed to you, both in person and by letter. Paul encourages the church to stand firm on God's word. Broadway, we are encouraged in our lives, personal lives, not just as a church, in our personal lives, to not run after the thirds that are coming up but to be people who are who stand firm in the teaching of scripture. Not in Sims teaching, not in political teaching, not in scientific teaching, in the teaching of scripture. Not saying that all these things are bad. Politics are great. Science is great. But our teaching where we stand firm and hold on and check all those things through is this. He says stand firm and he tells the church here to to remember the first things. Remember the first love. That's what we spoke about the other time. He's calling it to remembrance. Remember Remember how you hungered for Jesus when you got saved. Remember how much you were in love with the love letter he wrote for you. Where has that love gone? And then he says, when you have remembered it, Hold fast to it. Hold tight to it. In the book of Jude, again, Jude speaks about the end of times, and then he goes on around um, verse 24. Around verse 20. He says, but dear friends, you must build each other in the most holy faith in the Holy Spirit as you wait for the coming of our Lord who will bring eternal life um, in all and with this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Remember, to show mercy, he speaks about all those things. But just before that, he had said to them, you must remember what the apostles predicted. And then he says, you must hold fast to what you have been taught. There is always, when, it's, when, when the epistles or when the apostles speak about the issue of the coming of the Lord, there is always a point where they say, hold fast the truth. It's very easy to dilute the truth. It's very easy for truth to slip out of our hands if we are not holding fast to it. And I want to encourage us and encourage myself to hold fast to the truth of the gospel. The only truth that we have is the truth of the gospel. The absolute truth that we have is the truth that is written in Scripture. And he says hold fast to that. You can never go wrong with that. And then he goes on and he says, repent, which means turn around and embrace what you know. You already know, you've been taught this, and you're walking away. He says, repent, turn around, and embrace this. When we let go of scripture, it's a slippery slope. We are going down. When we let go of scripture because of our... Um, of our political views, Oh, when we let go of scripture because of our learning, when we let go of scripture because of our influences that we hear from our leaders and the world out there, that's a slippery slope. Hold on, hold fast, turn around and hold dear. For dear life, hold on to this. In a city in South Korea that is on the border of North Korea, because North Korea is not allowed to hear scripture. What believers do is they tear page, pages from the Bible. And they blow it over the border. And that's how they get the little bit of this. And we have the full version of this. And we are not holding fast to it. Those people might just have one page of this. And that's what they leave with. In North Korea, the, the teachers and the authorities tell the kids at school, We have a great game for you that will make you win something. Go to your house and find that secret book that your parents are reading. And when you find it, it's a secret, it's a game. It's a secret. Find the secret book and then come and tell us, and you get a reward. And so, because they're not allowed to read scripture, The kids go and search around in the basement or whatever and they find the Bible and they tell the authorities and their reward is going to a camp or going to jail for holding fast to this. America, Broadway, Indiana, the world. We have not faced we have not faced persecution. We have not faced persecution our brothers and sisters are facing persecution is it because we are asleep I'll leave it there he says turn around to what you know embrace what is holy that's what he speaks about about the garments embracing being holy embracing living a holy life embracing realizing that God's grace is not cheap when we go around with soiled clothes." Spiritually speaking, we are, we are cheapening the grace of God that Jesus paid for with his life. And he says, repent. When, when we have repented, we, will have the, we would have the joy, like some of our brothers and sisters who've got the joy to lose their lives for Jesus. And then he says, therefore, watch. If you do not watch, I'll come to you. As a thief. I'll come upon you as a thief in the night. Reminds us again what Jesus said in making. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? We don't know the hour. We don't know the minute. Jesus is coming back. Are we ready? So that he doesn't find us like a thief finds, comes into a home where there is no guardian. When you are not alert, that's when the thief comes. Are we alert enough to realize that he's coming back? And he says, even in in service in this wicked city, there are some who have not defiled their clothes. There is a remnant. And he says, those shall walk with me in white. Jesus promises that the pure people would walk with him. Purity of heart, purity of mind, purity of action, purity of life. He says, those people will walk with me. This is a picture of victory parade. And he says, they will walk with me. That's a reward. That's the greatest reward. When you walk with somebody, you're in connection with that person. When you walk with somebody, you have a relationship with that person. When you walk with somebody, you're in the same pace that person and jesus says those will walk in the same pace with me this is a reward that jesus is calling for us the pure can never have greater intimacy with god the pure sorry can have greater intimacy with god not because they've ended but because they are simply more interested in the things of god how is your interest in the things of god We don't end our purity. It comes from him. He calls us to come and drink. He says, come and drink. Come and buy food that won't cost too much. He is calling us to the source. And he says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. In the olden days, each city had a book where they wrote their citizens' names that are alive. And when you die, they'll blot it out. So they understand exactly what Jesus is saying to them. But as well, remember, when he said, I'll come like a thief in the night, they understand as well that in their city, they have had these kings that have come like a thief in the night. So they understand what this means. They have, they have an understanding of what it means. And then Jesus goes on and says, to those that, that are pure, those that walk with me, I will confess their name before my father and his angels. This is a promise. That God has for us. When we walk with him. When we tap to the source. When Jesus is in the right place. And position. In our lives. Jesus said. If you acknowledge me before men. I will acknowledge you. Before my father. This was before this. This is the second time he saying it. Are you ashamed. Of him. He will be ashamed. Do I shrink away from telling others about him? Do I shrink away from living for him wherever I am? He'll be ashamed of me. He is the source of our life. The moment we walk away from the source, we are dead. The moment we are cut off from the vine, we are dead branches that would not produce fruit. Is your lamp burning? Is the oil of the Holy Spirit, is it what is keeping the lamb burning? The worship team can come forward. The lamb that you carry, are you like the ten, there are ten virgins, are you like the five foolish or the five wise? Are you like the church of service which represent the five foolish ones that carry the dead lamb around? And my challenge to you, Broadway, this morning is what place does Jesus occupy in your life? Got two challenges for us. This might be a challenge for somebody who says, I have never, I've never given Jesus first place in my life. And it might be a challenge for someone who says, I have given Jesus first place in my life before, but I've taken that and given it to something else. What place does the crucified Jesus hold in your life? Church, what place? does the resurrected Jesus hold in your life? What place is the exalted Jesus hold in your life? And what place is the soon-coming Jesus hold in your life? If you have never made that commitment and said, Jesus, come into my heart and be Lord of my life, I want to encourage you today not to be ashamed of him because he says, those who proclaim me freely I'll proclaim them before my Father. And those who are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them. We're going to worship just for a minute, and then I'm going to give the second challenge. But during the first challenge, if you feel you need to sort things about priorities of where you are with Jesus in your life, this side of the altar is open, the elders are going to come and pray with you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. it's better to acknowledge me here because then he can acknowledge you there for eternity if, if jesus is ashamed it's better to have a shame in this part of my life and have the joy in the rest of my life we're going to see just a few i'll give a few minutes and wait if you feel god is calling you to reevaluate where you are what place does jesus occupy in your life and you need somebody to pray with, come forward, then I'll give the next challenge. From you today, would it make a difference? Would people know? Would you even know? If he was missing, would you know in your life? Would you even understand that he's missing? He calls us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you continually filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I continually filled with the Holy Spirit? To a point that when he's absent, I know it. If he were to be absent, I would know it. If he were to be absent, the world would know it. If he were to be absent, my colleagues at work would know it. Or are we just like the dead church that did not care? Deep calls out to deep church. Would it make a difference? He says, come, drink from the fountain. Let those who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and to you and to me today.